We're going to continue talking a little bit about prayer this week. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the, the sinner's prayer, prayer of repentance, and it's found throughout the Torah, the Tanakh, and the Brihadashah. And uh, last week, we talked about uh, when, when Yeshua's disciples, they came and they said, teach us to pray. And um, what he said was something that was very similar and related to corporate prayer, things with the Amidah, saying how you know, prayer is private, but it's also corporate. And don't forget these things, they work together, not against each other. See, when we're praying together, it's an outflow of what's happening in our hearts and our lives. And it's just coming together at that in the presence of the Father. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about prayer, laying on of hands and some things that are found in that. Uh, as anything, this is not an exhaustive study or teaching by far on any, on any matter. Matter of fact, if anybody ever tells you that it is, it's probably not. <laughs> I don't think how we can really get an exhaustive teaching on anything that Yahweh has to say, because as soon as we get, a, okay, I think I got a handle on this, then we find out we missed stuff, right? So uh, we do what we can, and this is just where I believe the Father has us in some of these things here for us today, okay? First off, I want to start with uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, leaving the basic teaching of the Messiah, let us move on toward maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of trusting God, of teaching about immersions, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Now, what I want to point out here is he says, uh, let us leave the basic teaching of the Messiah. He's not saying let's leave behind the Messiah, okay? Um, what he's saying is, okay, so now we're redeemed. So there's some things that we should have learned by now, okay? And this is why he says, this is the elementary things of the faith. And unfortunately, you don't see too many of these being taught in many places today. But yet the, these are the things that here's the instruction of like the foundational elements of the faith. Here they are. And we're not going to cover all of them today because today we're talking about prayer and the laying on of hands about that, which is in this list. Okay. It says uh, in verse two, teaching about immersions, that's mikvahs, baptisms, right? And laying on of hands also called smicha. And so different things that relate there. Why were laying on of hands done? A couple things. Well, a few, actually. One is just for prayer. Another is for blessing. Another is for sacrifice, which includes worship, because you know the, the system of the offerings that were done in the Mishkan and the tabernacle and the temple, they were modes of worship that people would come to, to, before Yahweh. This is how they would come in to worship him. So the sacrifice and worship do go together. And then smicha, which was an ordination or uh, putting into place. So we're going to talk about all of these today. And, um, and I'm, I know there's more, right? And even in these, we're not going to cover everything on them. But there are some things that I feel that we can cover while we're talking about prayer. Okay? So you guys with me? All right. Let's start with prayer, including healing. Okay? When we, when we say that someone, is, is a, they, they need healing, well, what are we instructed to do there? To pray and often to lay hands on and pray, right? So how do we lay hands on? It's like, okay, you read in the scripture, it says, therefore they sought to lay hands on him. You know, that's not the hand we're talking about today. All right. Even though many feel you have that anointing, that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about laying on of, laying on of hands in prayer in faith and, uh, and, and pursuing the heart of the Father and all these things. Okay. So where do we see this? Let's start with James. James 5, 13 to 16 says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of Messiah's community and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. 
The prayer of faith will save the one who was sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So confess your, your offenses one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous person is very powerful. If you just stay on these verses alone and just meditate on that, there's a lot there to keep us busy. But I've got a lot of other scriptures I want to bring out to point through this, okay? First off is saying, so if you need prayer, pray. If you need others to stand in faith for you, then ask for prayer, okay? And another thing, you know, I'm not saying that you can't just contact a brother or sister and say, hey, pray for me. You can, okay? But there, we have, do have to be careful with some things, right? Because how many of you know that some people really don't have your best interest at heart? So you have to make sure that people who you have pray for you really care about you, first off, and, uh, and that they're going to pray things, not what they want, but lining up with what Yahweh wants, you know, and that's some discernment and some of these things involved. This is why it tells us, so if there's prayer there, call the elders, okay? And I'm not saying elders are perfect. I'm just saying these are people who generally care about you and want the best for you, all right? So, so in other words, call people who are a little mature, who've been around for a while, and who you trust their, their guidance and their counsel, okay? Call them and have them pray with you. And, it's, and, and you can just call and pray, have someone pray there, but notice it also says elders, you know, there's, there, it's more than one. You know, what, you know what the beautiful thing about having a group of people together praying for you is that one might pray one way, one might pray another, but it all works together. And another thing is accountability. You know, when you're praying there together, you have people praying for you and other people are hearing it where they can either agree with or correct. See, there, there's, it's, we're missing a lot of accountability in the body. And we need that, okay? It's, it's for everybody's best interest right? So we need to have that as well, all right? Now, as far as bringing in, laying hands on, and praying, uh, you can look at Mark as well. Mark 5, and 23. One of the synagogue leaders named Jairus comes, and seeing him, he falls at his feet, speaking of Yeshua, and he begs him a great deal, saying, my little daughter is near death. Come and lay hands on her so that she may be healed and live. So this man had faith. Yeshua came and laid hands on her that she would live. Why? Why would have to, the, the idea of laying hands? Because something was to happen when you laid hands on someone. And we're going to cover that today in many different aspects. Okay? And, and one, in one way, uh, if you brought the offerings for worship, you would lay your hands on the animal that you were bringing in to go on the altar. You would pray and make confession over that. It'd be like an investment of yourself and your identity leaning on, putting your weight on the head of that animal. And another thing too, which we will find later in regards with Moshe and, uh, and Joshua and the elders and all that, which we'll cover, it's a matter of investment of the spirit that was put on him speaking like Moshe, would be transferred to the ones that he was laying hands on. And we have biblical precedent for that. So uh, this is what he was saying. He knew Yeshua was sent from Yah. He, he knew this, otherwise he wouldn't be coming to him. He knew that if he spoke, it happened. He knew that if he prayed, it happened. He knew all these things. So he came to Yeshua in faith and saying, come, lay hands on, on my daughter, and then she'll be healed. He didn't say so that she might be, he said so that she will be. Okay, so again, that was a matter of standing in faith. And we see as well in Luke 4.40, when the sun was setting, they brought to Yeshua all who were sick with various diseases, and he was laying hands on each one and healing them. Again, you know, we read in Isaiah 53, where it says he bore our sickness and disease and all that, and he took them on him, yes. But also there was a, a part of, of this as well, where he would heal and cleanse the people 
just by laying hands on them or just by speaking the word or just by, you know, like, like the, uh, the ones that, that were cleansed from, from Sarah, the ones that were cleansed from leprosy, some of them he didn't lay hands on, some of them he did, but it was a matter of, okay, so go show yourself. And along the way they were cleansed. Remember the 10? You know, and so they, they were cleansed. He just said, go show yourself for, to, the, to the priest and do the appropriate offerings for your cleansing, right? And so again, this was just speak the word and it's there, right? Mark 16, 17 and 18 says, these things will accompany those who do trust or, or believe in my name. They will drive out demons, speak with new tongues, not be injured if they handle snakes or drink poison and heal the sick by laying hands on them. Now, even with this, you know, I know people that have taken this as a mission statement, and just gone out and done a bunch of stuff and really got hurt and messed up. <laughs> so does that mean God's word is not true? Not at all. What it means is if you're in the situation where this is what he's anointed you to do, then you don't have to worry about it, okay? If you're in a situation where he's called you to do something, then just do it. Don't worry about the consequences because he'll be with you in the midst of that, okay? But it doesn't mean, oh, so I can go handle snakes and we just go out and do it. Now we do see, you know, like Shaul, he reached to the fire and he got bit and he shook it off, Right? Okay, so yes, it's true. God's word is true, but it doesn't mean that we should just go out here and be trying to do things to prove a point just to see if God will do it. There's a whole thing about not putting him to the test that even Yeshua quoted, right? (laughs) So again, it's not a matter of can he, it's a matter of just having some discernment and some wisdom to go along with it and just just follow the Father and what he's telling you. Okay, we're not out to to try to prove a point, we're just trying to follow him, all right? And again, in Acts 9, 17 and 18, speaking of Rav Shaul, again, so Ananias left and he entered into the house, laying hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Yeshua, the one who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Ruach HaKodesh. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight and then he got up and was immersed. Again, a status change. He, he, he would mikvah after this change of status. He would praise Yahweh in the midst. I mean, think about it. He was blinded by Yahweh and then uh, he was prayed for it. He got his sight back. So again, yes, he would mikvah and he would do an immersion and a change of the things that were happening in his heart and his life. And then he would go on his way. So we have the prayers of laying on the hands for the sick. And it says, do that and they will recover, right? Then we also have a, a blessing as well. But before we get there, uh, note the wording uh, this, laying on the hands and accompanied by prayer was a common practice, but is that absolutely necessary? No, not really. Okay. And again, if this is needed, then it's needed. If it's not, then it's not. The problem here is that, especially I'm just talking to people, especially here in America, we have this way of trying to analyze Yahweh to make him an equation. If I do this or say this just the right way, then this is the result that I get. And guess what? Yahweh is not math. Okay. Um, We just need to follow him, listen to his voice and do what he says. Okay. But here, it's not a matter of if I say this or do this just the right way, then this is what's going to happen. So if we do this, this is what has to ha- take place. The problem here is that we think that this is the only way that Yahweh is going to do anything in our life. I can only be healed if someone lays hands on me and prays for me. Is that the only way? No, no. Who's to say Yahweh himself can't just do it? You know, he can. And I've seen scenarios where he has. But at the same time, I also know that in many places, Yahweh uses his people to bring his will into the earth. Okay? So again, we, we want to make sure that in the process of doing this, we're not saying this has to be done like this every time in every scenario for everything, because we don't even see it that way in the scripture. 
like uh, even like with spiritual gifts. We'll cover a little bit of that in a minute. But even with when you see that in the book of Acts, every time the laying on of hands was done, if you read through the circumstances of everything, it was different every time. Okay, so it's not like it has to be done the same way every time with the same result and everything. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 2, who laid hands on the, on the people there in, at, at the temple? Nobody. You know, so again, let's be careful not to just put God in a box and saying it has to be done like this or it's not God. Okay, and let's just let him do what he wants to do, because the problem is a lot of times we feel like we don't hear from God or we can't hear what he's saying. We're listening for something specific and he's saying something else. And when you can't hear God, no, you're just, what's being said is not what you want to hear because you're wanting to hear something else. And so we have to just uh, be tuned with some discernment and let him do what he's doing, okay? An example of this, Luke 7, 6 to 10. I know it's a little small. I'm going to read it there. Luke 7, 6 to 10. So Yeshua started to go with him. And when he wasn't far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Master, do not trouble yourself for I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. That is why I didn't consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go when he goes and to another come and he comes and to my servant, do this. And he does it. And now when Yeshua heard this, he was amazed at him, turning to the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who have been sent returned to the house, they found the servant was in good health. Amazing. Here was was someone says, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. You don't have to come lay hands on my servant. Just, I know that if you just say the word, it's it's good enough. It's going to happen. Because I recognize all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you. See, he knew that Yeshua was once someone who operated in authority from Yahweh. And so he knew all he had to really do was just say it. And it was done. And it was done. You know, because think about it. In the beginning, how did Yahweh create? He spoke. So... The only thing that we find uh, actually was fashion molded with his hands is mankind, Adam. Adam, he, he, he took the clay, the clay from the earth and he fashioned Adam and placed him in the garden. Everything else, he spoke. Okay? So again, just say the word and, and Yahweh will do what he needs to do. Okay? So back to hands, another thing we see is in blessing. In blessing, how do we see some of these things? Well, in Mark 10, 13 to 16, People were bringing children to Yeshua so that he might touch them, but the Talmudim rebuked those people. However, when Yeshua saw it, he became indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. As I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. And he took them in his arms, laid his hands on them, and made a bracha over them. So here are the children that came to Yeshua. He took them, he gathered them around, and he placed his hands on them and made a blessing over them. Hmm. I wonder what blessing he would have said. I don't know. We don't have a record of it, but we are given in the scripture a blessing that was given to our sons and daughters, aren't we? Hmm. Even of speaking of may God bless you like Ephraim and Manasseh. That's from Genesis 40, 48, I think. 48 or 49. When, when Yaakov was blessing Ephraim and Manasseh, and then it says, so is all Israel will bless, saying, it's there. Right? So maybe he blessed, his, blessed the children according to these. Right? For just food for thought. Another, Yitzhak blessing Yaakov, which we see in Genesis 27, even though he may have thought that it was Esav, right? <laughs> and, but he blessed him and then he went. And then what, what's kind of missed a lot in the story, he's kind of going over it, is uh, okay, so now Esav wants to kill his brother. So they exile Yaakov as a result. And, and, and oh, why don't you go find a wife? Just don't come back home. Great. Now what do I do? 
right? So he goes, so go find a wife, and, and, and when your brother doesn't want to kill you anymore, we'll send for you. <laughs> it's worth noting that they never sent for him, all right? So, so they go in there, but yet before he left to be exiled and be sent out of the land to go find his bride, he was blessed again by his father. And that kind of gets glossed over. But again, it's just more stuff to look at. Now again, uh, Yaakov, blessing Ephraim and Manasseh, which we just talked about, was in Genesis 48, 14 and 15. Uh, Yosef brought his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, so that his father could bless them, and he laid his hands on them. Remember the scenario? He crossed his hands to place his right on Ephraim and his left on Manasseh. So again, placing his hands on them and speaking over them would be the, um, the, the blessing that he was desiring to give towards them. And again, we see not only laying on of hands, but we see also lifting hands to bless, okay? It's the same type of thing where it's not just, okay, I can't lay hands on all of you, but they could lift hands to bless, much like Yahweh says to Aaron and Moshe, Numbers chapter 26, verses 24 through 26, 27, the Aaronic benediction, this is how you are to bless my people Israel, and they would lift their hands and bless all Israel at the same time. It's not like, okay, I'm going to start laying hands on you guys, and so now Aaron went through, you, you, you. Okay, no, they, he blessed all Israel there by lifting his hands, so as a matter of, of saying that as well, which we see in other places. Nehemiah 8, 5, and 6, Ezra opened the scroll in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people when he opened it, and all the people stood. And uh, Ezra blessed Adonai, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, as they lifted up their hands, and they bowed down, and they worshiped Adonai with their faces to the ground. So they lift their hands to Yahweh in an act of worship. Matter of fact, it's also a symbol of, uh, of surrender. When we worship Yahweh, that's what we're doing. So we're surrendering our heart, our desire, our will, all that we are to Him. Okay? So it's a mode of worship. And as a matter of fact, a lot of, in many cultures around the world, to lift your hands is, is a show of surrender. Right? Psalm 63, 5 says, So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I what? I lift up my hands. Psalm 134, 2, lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless Adonai. So even in that, you can lift your hands to bless Yahweh. Guys, when you lift up your hands in a mode of worship or surrender, it does bless Yahweh. Okay, it says, uh, Father, I just want to come and I just want to bless you. I have nothing to give you, but here I am, right? So again, it's just a mode of, of blessing him. And we lift ourselves to him, lifting your hands towards him is just another show of that. Leviticus 9, 22 to 24. It says, Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and he blessed them. Then he stepped down from presenting the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the fellowship offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting and they came back out and blessed the people. And the glory of Adonai appeared to the people. Fire came out from the presence of Adonai and devoured the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. I bet they did. Um, so as they came in, they, they put on the altar and they lift up their hands and they, they blessed the people. And fire came out from before the presence of Yahweh and went to that altar and lit those offerings. Guys, that fire that was on that altar, who put it there? Yahweh himself. His fire came out from before the Lord. That phrase that's used there in the Torah, before the Lord, means from the holy place. It's, it's synonymous with the holy place. So he says fire came out from the holy place, which, by the way, is where the menorah was, right? Came out from there and went and consumed the altar. So the fire of Yahweh was there on that altar consuming these things that were there. Speaking of, now we go to worship. The mode of sacrifice and a mode of worship. In Leviticus 1... It starts off, the very first thing that, that Vayikra, the Leviticus, starts off with is, so if a man brings an offering of, him, of himself, and literally the way this is translated would be, 
if a man brings an offering of himself. It's not a matter of what exactly is brought, even though that was important. The emphasis or the subject of it all was you. See, as you brought a korban, korban is what we commonly translate as sacrifice, okay? But korban in the Hebrew means literally something brought close to, something brought near. So these offerings that were brought to Yahweh were just modes of drawing near to him, modes of of coming in and worshiping before him. And in many of these, it says that the smoke went up into the presence of Adonai. Literally, it says to his face. So we could literally be represented in his presence by what we gave and went on the altar. Okay, So we could be brought near to him even though we couldn't go past that point. All right. So the, the korban was a, a symbolic means that we can be drawn in. So the, the emphasis was what? The offering or you who brought it? The emphasis was you who brought it. And we see this. So going on to Leviticus 1.3. Says, if his uh, sacrifice is the burnt offering from the herd, he is to present the male without blemish. He is to offer it at the entrance of the tent of meeting, so that he may be accepted before Adonai. And verse four says, what he is to do? What lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, so that they will be accepted for him to make atonement in his behalf. A burnt offering was one that went completely. It was on the altar. Nobody got any of it except. Okay, it was just given to Yahweh, and uh, the priest didn't get any of it. You didn't get any of it. It was on the altar, completely consumed in fire. Now, before you brought it, it had to be slaughtered there before the altar, you know, at, at the gate, right? And before all that could be done, you had to place your hands on it and speak over it. You know, it's kind of like this. Uh, you would bring your offering to the priest. He says, what, what, what are you bringing? And meaning, what kind of offering are you bringing and why? Why would he need to know this? Because he needed to know what he needed to do with it. Okay, so guess what, guess what would happen at that point? If it was a, a Thanksgiving offering, he knew what needed to happen. If it was, he could say, what are you thankful for? If it was a sin offering, what are you repenting for? You know, so in other words, it wasn't the offering that brought him uh, repentance. It was you bringing the offering, then your confession up to the priest that, who would be saying, okay, this is what we're doing. And then you would confess over the animal, laying your heads on it. Matter of fact, on the day of atonement, Yom HaKippurim, the word kafar for atonement literally breaks down is to take the hand and place on the head and to speak. So this is what would happen on Yom HaKippurim to offer to make atonement. So we have a picture in all the offerings of coming before Yahweh and laying hands and making confession over these things. We see this in Leviticus 3, 1 and 2 as well. If the offering is a sacrifice of fellowship offerings from the herd and either male or, either male or female, he is to offer one without blemish before Adonai. He should lay his hands on the head of the offering and slaughter it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons and Kohanim were to splash the blood around the altar. Again, it's worth noting as well, in a lot of these offerings that were brought, you're the one who slaughtered it. We often have the picture of saying, you know, it had to be done at the priest. No, it had to be done in the presence of the priest at the right place. But in a lot of these, you were the one that did that after you laid hands on it. Leviticus 4, 14 and 15. Again, when the sin then committed becomes known in the community, is to offer a young bull for a sin offering and bring it before the tent of meeting. The elders of the congregation are to lay their hands on the head of the bull before Adonai, and the bull is to be slaughtered. Again, we see picture and picture over. As the offerings were brought, they would lay hands on them beforehand. And then also, like we talked on Yom Kippurim in Leviticus 16, 21, it says Aaron is to lay both his hands on the head of the goat and confess over it the iniquities of Bnei Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, and he should place them on the head of the goat and send it away to the wilderness. So again, we see another picture of this being done as well. The different korban that were brought, we'll do this quickly. And, and the book of Vayikra, Leviticus, each chapter is dedicated to a different offering. 
just conveniently breaks down like that, okay? Uh, chapter 1 talks about the Ola offering or the burnt offerings. Leviticus 2 is the Mincha offering or the grain offering. You know, there were offerings that were brought that were bloodless. The grain offering, guess what that was? Grain. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there wasn't any blood involved in it at all, okay? That was the Mincha offering. And then the Leviticus 3 is Shalomim, that's the peace offering. Say Shalomim, what does that sound like to you? Shalom, there you go. It's the same word, okay? It means the shalom or the peace offering. Leviticus 4 is the chatat or the sin offering. Leviticus 5 is the asham or the guilt offering, okay? And I'm not going to go through every point of these, but again, just to show you how these break down. The ola, the burnt offering, again, this is what ascends to the Father. This is completely consumed by Yahweh. You don't get any of it back, but it is given complete devotion to Yahweh. It's saying complete dedication. I just want to worship Him. I just want to be near Him. I don't want anything else. I'm not asking for anything. I'm just saying I want to be represented before Him, and so I'm giving an ola offering. Okay, that's all it was. Now, again, who slaughtered it? Again, that's what we read about, right? Uh, next, the Mina offering, and it's noted as well, an Ola offering is a voluntary offering. You are not commanded to bring it. And then a Mina offering is, again, a voluntary offering. You are not commanded to bring it. And again, this is a bloodless offering. No animals were involved in the Mincha offering. It was uh, fine flour mixed with oil. It was unleavened. Interesting to note that, that was always unleavened. And it was salted. You brought it to the priest. He takes a handful of it and anoints it with frankincense and burns it on the altar. The priest got the rest of it. You got none of it. And it was offered as a, as a consecration of material possessions and gifts. And it was given with joy and with gladness. Next is the Shalomim offering. Again, this is a voluntary offering. You were not commanded, you had to bring it. This was a voluntary offering. It's a mode of worship. You laid hands on it, you killed it. And then the priest burned all the fat and the innards, the hindquarters, and he sprinkled the blood on the altar. The priest received the breast and the shoulder. You received back everything else. And all, the, all that remained from this offering, you were to eat in a holy place. And guess what, guys? That's a lot of food. So you had to invite people to help you. And that gave you the idea of, I come and I bring to the altar, this gets put on the altar, and you literally receive back from the altar of Yahweh. You're eating from Yahweh's table, guys. You're eating from the altar of Yahweh in the presence of Yahweh, giving thanks before Him, and you have all your friends there with you to, to help you in that. So you have this Thanksgiving offering. What are you giving thanks for today? And it was just a celebration, just being thankful before Yahweh. Okay. Next is a chatat offering. This was, a, comp was a, a compulsory offering. This, the, the two sin offerings were the only ones that were required by Israel. The rest of them were all voluntary. The Hatat offering uh, was given after repentance, after an acknowledgement of missing the mark, after this was discovered, it came to be, then you did this. This was given for unintentional sin and after the recognition that you had sinned. Okay, You laid hands on it and you killed it. The priest sprinkled the blood on the altar. He carried the remains outside the camp and burned it. All that was burned and carried away was the portion for Yahweh. The priest could receive a portion to be eaten within the courtyards and the giver received back none of it. Would you want any of it back? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Next was the Asham offering. The Asham offering, again, was a compulsory offering, again, related to guilt, related to sin. This was for cleansing or restoring a state of physical purity. All right. This, uh, you brought the animal, you confessed over it, you killed it. And then the priest sprinkled the blood on the altar and all that was burned belonged to Yahweh. The priest received the remainder that wasn't burned. The giver received no portion back and the chatat was given 
uh, for a show of forgiveness. The asham was given as a show the trespass had been cleansed. So it did not cleanse, it showed the cleansing had been done. The offering itself didn't have the power to do that, but it was showing that Yahweh did it. Okay? So these are different things that relate to laying on of hands and coming in to worship before Yahweh. Then we have smicha. Smicha, uh, including spiritual gifts. Smicha is the laying on of hands, and uh, this is also done including spiritual gifts in those matter of fact. So while we're talking about those, let's see these really quick. 1 Timothy 4.14 says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you that was given you through the prophecy with the laying on of hands of the elders. So again, a spiritual gift was imparted to them through the laying on of hands of who? Who's it say? Next door neighbor? The guy down the road? Someone you met in the parking lot. <laughs> you get my point? This was given of someone who had a reputation, someone who was known, and someone, again, someone who is looking out for, for, for you and, and what the Father desires for you. It was given with the prophecy of laying on of hands and the elders, and again, plural, that keeps everything accountable. Okay, that keeps everything that's in there. In Acts 8, 14 to 24, so now when the emissaries in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the message of God, they sent prayer or Peter. <laughs> they say, of course they sent prayer. <laughs> but they sent Peter and they sent John to them. And they came down and they prayed for them to receive the Ruach HaKodesh, for he had not yet come upon them and they had only been immersed in the name of Yeshua. Then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Ruach HaKodesh. Now when Simon saw that the Ruach HaKodesh was given through them by the laying on of hands by the emissaries, he offered them money. Simon the sorcerer, right? So when he saw that something was happening and people's lives were being changed and people, there, were, there were things who were re- expecting to receive from the heart of Yahweh and they laid hands on them and like, things were going on, the sorcerer is like, wow, I want some of that. I want, I want to be able to do that so that I can make money off of it. <laughs> right? So what happened? Verse 19. He's saying, give me this power too so that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Ruach HaKodesh. And Peter said to them, may your silver go to ruin and you with it because you thought you could buy God's gift with money. You have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be pardoned. For I see in you the poison of bitterness and the bondage of unrighteousness. And Simon replied, pray for me so that none of what you have said may come upon me. Interesting thing here is I don't see where he actually did any repenting. <laughs> he, just, he just didn't want you know, what Peter said to happen. <laughs> hmm. So a side note on the gifts, is laying on hands the only way Yahweh gives gifts? No, no. Remember in Acts chapter 2, what we saw was uh, nobody laid hands on anybody there. It was the Ruach HaKodesh fell on the people and, and things happened, okay? So again, let's not put God in a box of saying everything that's done has to be done this exact way every single time because even throughout the book of Acts, it's never the same way twice. Okay, so we got to be careful with that. First um, Corinthians twelve, kind of further further in on this. First Corinthians twelve, verses one to twelve. So now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to become or to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, you were enticed by idols that cannot speak, and and you got led astray. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Ruach Elohim says Yeshua be cursed, and no one who, no one who who can say Yeshua is Lord except by the Ruach Hakodesh. Now, there are various kinds of gifts, but the same Ruach. Worth noting, there are many different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Does every person have every gift? Maybe, maybe not. The thing is, when we get to the the end of the point of this, is that Yahweh gives the gifts how He will, when He will, to whom He will, 
for whatever purpose. In other words, he can do what he wants when he wants. Okay? You know, in other words, you have what you need in the situation you're in. You know, if there's something that you need in, in the situation here, Yahweh will give you what you need to get through this situation right here. It doesn't mean, you know, like this, if someone has a prophetic word and all of a sudden they're a prophet, hmm, be careful, be careful. Just because Yahweh does something in one instance doesn't mean this is now your calling in life, okay? It means you had what you needed at the time you needed it. Now that may be once, might be twice, may be permanent. Who's to say? That's up to Yahweh, you know? Verse five, so there are various kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are various kinds of working, but the same God who works all things in all people. But to each person is given the manifestation of the Ruach for the benefit of who? All. The Ruach was given so that we could learn to walk according to his ways by his word written on our heart. But, but the manifestations of these things was given so that the body could benefit. It's not so that you could benefit and keep things to yourself. And so that the body benefit. And in turn, you're going to benefit in the midst of it, okay? But that's the idea, is it's building up the body. If we're trying to, uh, to separate people, well, we have to be careful what spirit you're working on there too, right? So it says, but to each person is given the manifestation of the Ruach for the benefit of all, verse 8. For to one is given through the Ruach a word of wisdom, to another word of knowledge, according to the same Ruach, to another faith, by the same Ruach, to another gifts of healing, by the Ruach, verse 10. To another, the workings of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, different kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues, but one and the same Ruach activates all these things, distributing to each person, look at this, individually as he will. So again, they're distributed how? As he desires them to be, okay? Verse 12, for just as the body is one, as many parts, all the parts of the body through many are one body, so also is the Messiah. So in other words, we just have to trust Yahweh that what we need, when we need it, he's going to be involved in that, okay? And let him be involved in that, right? Not try to put him in the box. God has to do this this way, right? What about the Leviim? Did the Leviim have their hands, have hands laid on them? Actually, yes, they did. Yes, they did. In Numbers 8, 9 through 11, it says, you shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of the congregation, and you shall gather the whole assembly of the children of Israel, all of them, right? Gather the whole assembly of the children of Israel together, and you shall bring the Levites before Yahweh, and the children of Israel will put their hands on the Levites. And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord for an offering for the children of Israel, that they may execute the service of Yahweh. For the Levites to be instituted and put in service, they had to be consecrated and set apart for Yahweh. They had their time of going to their consecration, dedicating the altar, the eight days of dedicating themselves, doing all these things. But something else that was necessary was Israel had to come and lay hands on the Leviim. This is showing that the people are trusting Yahweh for them to do what's good in their life. Make sense? For me to lay hands on the priest and say, I am admitting you are the Leviim and you are a priesthood and you are the ones that are going to minister to Yahweh and minister to Israel. All this is done to, for him and for my betterment, for my, on behalf of what's going on in my life. You are investing the, the authority from you so that they can do their job. Now, you did, they didn't have that because they had the authority from Yahweh. But you are lining up with that when they came and they laid hands on the Leviim to do that. So in other words, they, at this point, they are now equipped for their service. Moshe and the 70 elders. We see this as well. Numbers 11, 12 to 20 is uh, what we're looking at there, but I'm going to just touch verses 16 and 17. 
So Adonijah said to Moshe, bring me 70 of the leaders of Israel, people you recognize as leaders of the people and officers of theirs. Bring them to the tent of meeting and have them stand there with you. And I will come down, check this out. I will come down. I mean, I don't know. guys. If God said, don't make me come down there, how would you take that? You know, I get flashbacks. Don't make me turn this car around, right? <laughs> but that's, that's not the way it's saying here. Yahweh is saying, I will come down and meet you. Okay, this isn't a threat. This is empowerment. This is equipping the people of Yahweh. He says, so take these people, set them there, and I will come down, and I will speak with you there. And look at this very carefully. I will take some of the spirit that rests on you and put it on them. Then they will carry the burdens of the people along with you so that you won't carry it by yourself. We have here a picture of Moshe who is basically telling Yahweh, I can't do this on my own. And he says, fine, I'll give you help. Discern 70 who are discerned as leaders among them, which you also see in Parsha Yithro, right? I mean, going through before the Ten Commandments were given, they're talking about how to choose leadership among Israel. And so he's given in here and he says uh, to go and I, I will come down there and I will put some of the spirit that is on you and I will put it on them. So Moshe, he was, he was to multiply himself, so to speak. But it wasn't him doing it. It was Yahweh doing it, okay? Moshe, was he, was, was he leading by power or influence? He was leading by influence. You see, power divides people and tears people apart. That's how the world rules. But influence is different. Influence desires to multiply. And that's how the Yahweh has called us to do things, to help be a light to those around us. And that light is going to connect with another person, help that light shine, always pointing back to Yahweh in the midst of all of it, right? Luke 6.40 says, The disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. We, we help each other out. We're learning together. And, and ultimately, we are continually pointing back to the Father. That's what we need to be doing constantly, Okay. So what happens here with, with Moshe? He says, I will transfer some of the spirit that is on you. Literally, that's what he says. We could read it there in, in the Hebrew. I will take some of the, or, or to transfer, to take some of the spirit that is on you and place it on them. Again, that word there is tzal, that first word is tzal. Tzal, it's, tzal is also a shadow. Okay, so again, it's a representation or a picture, not even really a copy, but just something that's there with you. And I will take this and I will place it on them. So he will take the, the Ruach that is there with you. What was the Ruach that was testified that was Moshe? We even see it in Isaiah, guys. Isaiah 63, 11 and 12 says, Then people remembered the days of the past of Moses and his people, saying, Where is he who brought us up from the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit in them? We often see, hear about the, how the Ruach, you know, in the New Testament dwells in people, because in the Old Testament, he was just like around people. He was kind of hanging out and just kind of helped out. No. We have a testimony throughout the entirety of the Torah, the Tanakh, and the Brihadashah, where the Ruach Elohim was placed within people of Yahweh. And that's why he said, build me a tabernacle as well. He said that they will build me a sanctuary that I may dwell within them. See? So that's what was desired from the very beginning. And so here he says, literally, he says that he placed his Holy Spirit in him. Break it down to the Hebrew, guess what it says? Same thing. 
See, so what, what spirit was in Moses? The Ruach Elohim, the spirit of Yahweh. And so he took the Ruach Elohim and placed it on the elders. So what happened with Yehoshua? Same thing, same thing. Deuteronomy 32, 47 to 49 says, For it is no empty word for you, but your very life in this word. Uh, you shall live long in the land you're going over to possess the Jordan to possess it. Again, to crossing over Ivrim, same where we get the word Hebrew of our. That very day, Yahweh spoke to Moshe, and he's saying, Go up to this mountain of the Avarim, the Mount Nebo, which is the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel for a possession. So again, Moshe is getting ready to pass, and he's going up the Avarim. Yahweh is, is telling him things that are about happening, taking place. So Moshe is realizing he's about to die. And so we go back. Moshe had asked Yahweh for someone to come after him when he was gone. What did he ask for? Numbers 27, 15 to 17, which by the way, is the last conversation that Moshe has with Yahweh. But we, that we read about in the Torah. This is the last conversation that's recorded. And so he says, what does he ask for? Okay, I, I'm about to leave. Who's going to replace me? What does he ask for? Nothing more than for a shepherd, someone who has a shepherd's heart. Numbers 27, 15 to 17, Moshe says to Adonai, let Adonai, look at this phrasing, the God of the spirits of all human beings. Yahweh, you know all men by the spirit. You know who they really are. Appoint a man to be over the community. Again, we see in Isaiah 57, 16, it says, for I will not contend forever, neither will I always be wroth for the spirit that enwraps itself as from me and the souls which I have made. Raphael Hirsch translates this as the spirit that is enclosed in its case, I have made all the souls. All just testifying, Yahweh made you, all of you, body, soul, spirit, all of you. He knows you before you knew you. <laughs> he knows you. And so this is what, what, what Moshe was praying for Yahweh. And he says to, 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 you know who the people are, and this is what we're looking for. Someone to, to go in and come out ahead of them, to lead them out and to bring them in. So the Adonai's community will not be like what? Sheep without a shepherd. Does that sound familiar to you guys? Matthew 9, 36, speaking of Yeshua, when he came and he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like what? They were harried and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so then he started to bring them together. Then he started to teach them. Then he started to show them the Father's heart towards them. And that's the heart of a shepherd as well. Ezekiel 34, 12 says, Just as a shepherd looks after his flock when he finds himself among his scattered sheep, so I will look after my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered in the great cloudy day. Again, this is, this is again, I think, ties in with Matthew 9, which we just read. So back to Numbers 27, verse 18. So Yahweh says to Moshe, take Yehoshua, the son of Nun, a, a man in whom is the Spirit. See that? How do we have that testimony? A man in whom is the Spirit. We see this again in Genesis 41, 38, where Pharaoh says to his servants, how can we find a man like this? In whom is the Ruach Elohim? The Ruach Elohim bo. The Ruach Elohim is in him. He's speaking of Yosef, right? Testimony of the same thing. Exodus 3, 1 and 2. I have called by name Bethlehem, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Literally, he says that, I have filled him with the Ruach Elohim. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with the ability, intelligence, and knowledge to know all craftsmanship. Hoshea 9.7 says, Hoshea is called a man of Ruach, the man in whom the Spirit is mad because of the great iniquity, the great hatred. It says, and the man in whom is the Ruach. So what do we get in here? Back to Numbers 27, 18 to 20. So Yahweh says to Moshe, take Yehoshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, lay your hand on him, make him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. How was that supposed to happen? One guess. 
laying on of hands, anointing, prayer. He says, you are to take him and place him before all Israel and take him in front of the high priest and do lay hands on him and anoint him for these things. We see in Deuteronomy 34, 9, Yehoshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moshe had done what? Had laid his hands on him. So all the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moshe. So the laying on of hands is how we normally see this done, but it's not necessarily so. It doesn't have to be this way. Again, the whole idea of keeping, not keeping God in a box. We see in 2 Kings 2.9, when they all crossed, Eliyahu said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. How did that happen? He says, if you see me go up, then the, then the mantle, the cloak will be on there. He didn't at that time lay hands on him and pray for him. He said, if you see this, if you're there when it happens, then you'll have it. Okay. There's advice and a warning that goes in with this as well. We see in 1 Timothy 4.14 says, Neglect not the gift that is in you, which is given you by the prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. We've already covered this one. This was done uh, uh, corporately. This was done with accountability. This was done with more than one being involved in this. And as well, 1 Timothy 5.22 says, Lay hands suddenly on who? No man. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep yourself pure. Be careful who you let lay hands on you. And be careful who you lay hands on. <laughs> okay? Again, this is a matter of some maturity, a little bit of wisdom, and uh, just following the heart of the Father and all. If Yahweh says to do it, do it. But at the same time, be careful. Don't just do it just because other people are doing it. All right? So there's a lot that can happen here. There's, we already talked about with Yahweh says that for Moshe, he laid his hands on him. And he made an investment, some of what was a spirit that was on him to put to them. So what's going to happen if someone is just a mess and unsubmitted and not speaking of this Ruach Elohim, not speaking of the Spirit of God, wants to lay hands on you and pray for you? You know, be careful. All right. So this, the only characteristic that Moshe asked for in relationship to imparting or laying hands on a leader was this, he was a shepherd. That's all he was really desiring for. First Thessalonians 5.12 says, we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you and the Lord admonish you. You don't just not know people and trust them, you know? You have to know people. Either know them personally or know them by reputation or, or however it is. You just have some, some discernment there. James 3.13 says, Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, let, let him show his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Proverbs 27.23 says, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and look well to your herds. In other words, seek the best. Seek the heart of Yahweh in all manners. Okay? And to do that for, for all the people. That's what... Yeshua said to Peter, didn't he? He said, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, then what did he say? Feed my sheep. Notice he didn't say, do you love my sheep? Think about it. What do you think Peter would have said? Hey, Peter, you love my sheep? That guy? No, Lord, that's that whole 77 thing I was talking about. <laughs> no, he didn't say, you know, he said, do you love me? Feed the sheep. And we should all have that heart. We love him, then we help look out for one another. Malachi 2.7 Owen's lips should safeguard knowledge, and people should seek Torah from his mouth because he is a messenger of Adonai Tzavot. Scripture says if they're not speaking according to the tablets of the testimony, they're not speaking according to these things, then the truth isn't in them. So we have to be careful with these things. Even like uh, Balaam. Balaam was a prophet. Signs, wonders, miracles, things going on. But yet, what was his instruction? Everything regarding instruction that he gave was to come against the Torah and towards idolatry. So again, was the miracles the issue to test of a proven prophet? No, it was what they were teaching, what they were saying, what they were imparting. Okay, So just because the gifts were there doesn't mean it's God. 
So we've got to be careful with these things. Jeremiah 30, or 3.15 says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And in John 10, 14 to 16, Yeshua says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life on behalf of the sheep. And also, I have other sheep which are not from this pen, and I do bring them, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock, one shepherd. Lastly, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Yeshua came and he spoke to them saying, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So go therefore and do what? Make disciples. Here's a question. How do you make a disciple? You want to know the the short answer? You can't make a disciple. Someone has to submit to be a disciple. So in other words, what he's saying is to go in the heart that he gave you to go and teach the world, to draw their attention back to the Father, and that we all come together, learn from one another, that we're disciples of Him, but we're working together to do that. Okay, It's not, it's not one person's job. It's all of our responsibility, and we all have a part. To so go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and remember that I am with you always, even till the end of the age. Amen?